Before we begin, I just wanted to take a moment to address the elephant in the room. Now, it's hard to ignore the negative impact the coronavirus pandemic has had on us all. I, too, have felt it, and I've gotten behind on publishing some episodes. And to those guests, please accept my apologies. I'm working hard to get caught back up and get back on track. But I also want to encourage each of you to find a means of becoming productive during this time of lull. Who knows what you might create? In the meantime, be well. On today's Expert Process Podcast. It is difficult when you get a lot of the runaround and people are basically dangling a carrot, but then it, it just never leads to anything. And then you're like, well, time has passed. And what happened? You know, so a lot of filmmakers get, I feel mm-hmm. like, get into this situation. And uh, there's this hope that somehow it's going to happen. And then it doesn't. And you're like, what happened? That was filmmaking duo Brian and Laurence Avenay Bradley. They are a husband and wife team who have not only found a way to continue to make movies, they have also both pursued a career in film and television. Keep listening to learn their secrets for turning passion into success. Now, this is part one of a two-part interview. Do you know six in ten businesses will fail within the first five years? First five years. Or 43% of Americans need a side hustle just to make ends meet? Just to make ends meet. Or that it takes 10,000 hours to master any subject? Any subject. Welcome to the Expert Process Podcast, where we cut the time to mastery in half with our seasoned pros. And now, from Atlanta, Georgia, broadcasting worldwide, here's your resident expert, Durante Smith. This is the Expert Process Podcast, and I'm your host, Durante Smith. And it's my job to interview some of the most hardworking, highly successful professionals on the planet. This show follows a 12-week online masterclass at theexpertprocess.com, where you'll learn from start to finish what it takes to make it in your industry, as the program is chock full of professional advice, resources, and even industry contacts to help you get to the next level in less than half the time. As you might expect, the masterclass changes from industry to industry every 12 weeks. Now, the podcast is your introduction. The masterclass is the blueprint. And I'm your guide. Now, buckle up and get ready for the ride. You're listening to the Expert Process Podcast. We'll be back in just a moment after we thank our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Airbnb. Now, if you're like me, you like to travel in comfort, style, but also economically when you can. And I'll be the first to tell you, I'm not keen on staying in someone else's home. That is, until I discovered Airbnb. My friend. My very first stay was about six years ago in Santa Monica, California. Ironically, during the American film market. I stayed in a beautiful home just 1.26 miles from the beach. And then there was the weekend getaway to Knoxville, which was incredible. Our hosts were top-notch They made breakfast for us. They made, um, she actually made lunch, which was, I mean, insane. It was a music festival going on. So there was just great live music. 
Uh, we had dinner on the uh, river there at one of the local establishments, barbecue joints. And it was just a great experience. Then there was uh, Daytona that we got away for, again, for another short trip. It was about four hours down and back. And uh, Daytona was just, it was incredible. Great food, great weather. The beach was just beautiful. And it was the great time of year to go. So one other thing, locally here in Atlanta, we have a ton of just awesome Airbnbs. And then there's the the treehouse here, which I hope to go to very soon and take my daughter to. That's here in Atlanta that you can stay in. And it stays booked out, I think, six months out in advance. So that's one you definitely want to put on your list. Now, I'm a believer in crowd sharing and the disruptor industry. And I love, love, love me some Airbnb. So do yourself a favor and try it out. You can use my promo code to save $55 off your first adventure. Just go to bit.ly forward slash expert process Airbnb. Again, that's bit.ly bit.ly forward slash expert process Airbnb for your getaway or staycation today. I'm happy to have on the uh, line with us today. Uh, actually, we're on video as well, so you guys can check us out on YouTube. Um, we're doing something different. So I have my co-host here with me, a buddy of mine. Uh, we met a long time ago and reconnected recently, and he actually came on my show. Greg Thompson. Greg is down in El Paso, Texas. Greg is an acting coach. He is a director. He's a film festival program director and all this other good stuff. Greg, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, sir. It's good to be here. So Greg has brought in two fabulous filmmakers out of, uh, out of LA and I've just met them, but Greg and they have a very long history together. And I thought it would be um, nice to have these guys just open up and be able to share with you guys what they've done, how they've been able to be successful in producing films. And as we know, that's much more difficult and much more easily said than done. So uh, Greg, I'll let you do the introductions and then we can go from there. Cool. So this is Brian and Laurence Avenue Bradley. And Hi. Uh, Yay. I had the great good fortune of meeting them in Atlanta in, gosh, like 2002, maybe something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it was. Yeah. It was yeah. that long ago. Uh, and I was thrilled because I'd seen their film, Freezer, and they were holding auditions for Ghost of the Needle. And I was like, okay, I want to work with them. So I went in and auditioned for them. Remember that old, whatever that loft space that had just been redone? Mm-hmm. And I remember leaving that day going, well, I blew that. So when I got cast, I was like, yay! (laughs) And then I got to make another one with them. So they are awesome, awesome team. And thank you guys for being here. Well, thanks for having us. We're really excited um, to be here with you and share some stuff. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. Awesome. So uh, Brian and Laurence, do me a favor. Tell my audience a little about each of you guys. Like, Let's start with you, Brian. Tell where you're from a bit about your background and then how you got into filmmaking and then actually how you guys met. That's, that's pretty cool too. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I grew up in East Tennessee, uh, and, uh, but my first memory actually was in New Jersey when I was three years old. And my first memory was pulling back the covers on my bed and there was a skeleton in my bed. And the second memory I have is my mom chewing out my dad for putting a skeleton in my bed. (laughs) Uh, and since then, I've always been kind of interested in, in horror and the macabre and 
dark comedy and science fiction and got into making short films and then uh, met uh, Lowe uh, down in, in Florida when I was actually doing a, my unofficial thesis after I went to USC film school. I was doing my unofficial thesis after I left the school with some filmmaking friends. And we did audio down there where you were working in Florida. Yeah, Brian, Brian's friend was working with me um, when I was there uh, near Fort Lauderdale. And um, we kind of met. I really was interested to see what he, what he was making. And I really wanted to come France. And um, at the time, I remember telling him, hey, I want to critique your work. But really, it really meant in French, hey, I want to give you my opinion. Not, you know, be judgmental or whatever, but just kind of like talk about it. And um, so he's like, yeah, sure, uh, but you can't see it right now. You'll have to see it when it's fully finished. And I'm like, sure, just call, give, me a, give me a VHS. I don't know if it was a VHS. <laughs> Back in the days of VHS. <laughs> wow. Oh you now, guys now, you, now you've dated us. <laughs> yeah, you're telling your age. <laughs> the eight the eight track tape of video. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> anyway, uh, so that's how we, we met and then we had a lot in common and, and uh, then we started dating. And then Brian got me involved. I was in more into photography and television uh, broadcasting. And then Brian kind of got me into motion picture really. yeah. and telling a story. It was really what, what started it all, yeah. telling a story. So, Lawrence, are you from Florida? No, I'm from France. No, I, I only asked because I didn't know. I, I, and, and then the audience doesn't know. So, I, no, no. I, I, yeah. <laughs> well, my Floridian accent yeah. um, has stayed with me <laughs> for quite some years. I can't get rid of it. <laughs> No, no, I, I, um, I studied from France. I moved to Daytona Beach oh, okay. uh, to go to school. And I didn't really know the system, the, the college system here in the U.S. Mm. So I ended up going there uh, randomly, really. And then mm. I ended up moving to Miami. Um, gotcha. And then that's when I met Brian. But yeah, originally, and then after we, we met, um, and actually you moved to Atlanta and then we ended up going to Atlanta because there was a little more production going on and you liked you liked Atlanta better than well I actually had a contact at a uh, at a film production company there so uh, just basically traveled down with that contact to try to get some work it took a while to actually get into that company but at least I knew there was some something I could work my way into and so we're like East Tennessee Florida Kind of working our way there in the middle of oh, the, yeah, yeah. Uh, Atlanta. So yeah. So what was your experience like here in Atlanta? Well, it was weird. Back then, it was kind of in this in-between phase where there was been a lot of production in the 80s and, and uh, it had tailed off by the early 90s. And it was kind of in a dead phase when we were there. Uh, we left about, about 15 years ago before the resurgent yeah. uh, in production was happening in Atlanta. It's one of the reasons we moved out to L.A., but we did. But we did like. A, a, remember when we moved? We felt Atlanta was the best place. Well, yeah. Like we, when we I was that. in Florida and he was in Tennessee, we're like Atlanta is like so much better uh, in terms of like trying to do projects. Yeah. Um, it was more cosmopolitan. It was just better. And there was actually an indie film, a strong indie filmmaking scene even back then. Also, uh, what was yeah. really, what was really cool about Atlanta is we could make 
we felt we could make movies like people were more open, mm. you know, when we were there. So you could go around, you know, Georgia and the surrounding states and sure. people were super open to, mm-hmm. to, you know, to have films being made. I kind of wonder what the excitement now would be uh, now that they like, are completely used to Disney and, and Marvel movies and these huge movies and TV yeah. shows being shot in Georgia. Now I don't know if the excitement would exist the same way. Uh, if you told someone you were shooting something, sure. Uh, but back then, it was like it was it was an exciting thing. If you say, "Hey, we're going to do this movie," people would be excited. Like, "Well, what can I do? Can I can I help out? Can I be a part of it?" And that's really how we did the first two. Was primarily that way. Yeah. And we kind of grew it up from that. And the first two, especially, especially the first one. Yeah. We really bootstrapped the first one. It was crazy. So for our listening audience, they don't, they're most, well, some, but probably most aren't aware of the uh, boom here in Atlanta, the filmmaking boom. So that was probably, I'd say maybe 10 years ago, I think now, something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've been here for 22 years. So I came in well before that as well. But as you said, you got to see the change. That's right. You know what I'm talking about. Exactly. Yeah. And so the industry, as you said, the indie industry, right? has Mm -hmm. pretty much been strong for the entire time I've been here um, and it's grown obviously. Um, But the, now when you get to the studio side, that's really what you guys are talking about. The studio side is what's come in in this past 10 years as a result of the, the tax credits and tax incentives. And so for the folks listening that don't know about that, basically what happened is uh, a few years ago, well, several years ago now they petitioned the state and lawmakers and, ended up finally getting a um, a really stiff uh, tax incentive in place, tax credits in place. And that's what's brought in all this production for the, the studio systems and what we're talking about, like Marvel movies and stuff like that, you know. Um, but that doesn't really affect us so much as indies. Um, it kind of opens some things up with respect to maybe a little more understanding um, and maybe a bit more of a broader platform, I guess you could say. But unfortunately, still doesn't, you know, still doesn't spill over a lot into our lane because they kind of keep everything amongst themselves unless you're um, your union. Now, if you're union, you know, obviously you're going to go and work on their, their projects and their sets and stuff like that, but we don't affect the creative, you know? Mm-hmm. So with you guys and what you're doing now, and now that you've made the transition to LA and I'm not certain when that is, you can let, let us know, but your transition from Atlanta to LA, which is really ironic because you left before this big boom in film, right? And you went out to LA. So, how was that? How's how's your transition to LA? And then, um, how have you been able to, you know, to um, manage to have that consistency? I guess you could say, in your in your filmmaking. Well, what what's interesting about what happened is we wanted to make films, right? What what we really wanted to make indie movies, but at the same time because the revenues for indie filmmaking is really difficult at the time. I mean, you would just wanted to make your money back, but you still want to create, you know, you want to create a story and you want to make a movie. So we still wanted to work in the industry because we love that field. So that was the hard part for us is how can we have a job in that industry, but we can't get in because like you're saying, the big fish are there. I mean, actually, they weren't there yet. But right. even at the time, it was very hard to get in. And we tried in a lot of different ways. And really what happened is we did festivals with, it was with Ghost of the Needle. 
and right mm-hmm. yeah we did so we go to the needle we did this festival and we met a filmmaker there who actually is originally from Pennsylvania and he lived in LA and he's like what what are you guys doing in Atlanta and we're like well you know we're, we're making these films and uh, we're just trying to like make money in the industry but it's really hard and he's like guys you just have to come to LA there's a lot more work here and also, it'll be an opportunity for you to meet people who are in the field, like producers or distributors. You're actually there, so maybe it'll help for making a movie. It doesn't help with like financing or whatever, because that you could find anywhere in the U.S., even though it's really hard. Don't, don't get me wrong. Uh, it's very, very difficult. But anyway, it was mainly for like, how can we get in? you know, in LA and was basically an answer and he helped us. So at the time when it happened, we had just done Dark Remains, um, Greg's, you know, in Dark Remains. And we financed that movie, mostly all the production was financed on credit cards. Mm. So at that time, I was able to juggle all these credit cards and transfer one money to here. And then I kept... I kept the movie, we kept everything going with these credit cards, but we had to work because we had to pay off these credit cards, right? right? Right. And it takes a long time to start getting your money back, so long, like years to get your money back that we, we, he's like, come on guys, uh, you know, you need to work, come on over here, try to apply for a job. So that's what we did. You're listening to the Expert Process Podcast. We'll be back in just a moment after we thank our sponsors. Recently, I read an article about student enrollment in traditional colleges is way down and online course enrollment is through the roof. With podcasts like this, you not only get free developmental information, you also get access to resources you wouldn't have otherwise. But if you really want to take your film game to the next level, you should consider taking my online masterclass. It's 42 online video modules for more than 50 hours of self-study, complete with a full suite of resources. It's also live coaching and instruction from me and other industry professionals. People say, but Durante, why are you doing this? And I tell them, it's just my way of giving back. So if you're serious about wanting to level up your film game, register for the free informational webinar today at theexpertprocess.com. Again, If you want to write a script, make a movie, sell a movie, or just learn how to get into the industry, this webinar is for you. I want to keep the groups fairly small. So sign up today because space is truly limited. Go to theexpertprocess.com and register today. Now on to the show. Brian applied for a gig for editing on a TV show. Must be local. Must be LA local. LA local. So then, which I said I was. <laughs> someone called one of the producers called him, and he's like, "Hey, uh, can we have a chat this week uh, about this uh, editing gig?" And we're like, uh, "You're like, well, I, I, I'm really busy editing this week. I can be there next week, booking booking ticket. Uh, and then flew out to LA, which is supposedly where I was living, uh, and met with them and did the interview and." And I, I didn't hear back. The interview went great, but I didn't hear anything back. So I'm like, well, it didn't happen. And then three months later, I found out, uh, found out I got the job. So basically, I, I came back to L.A. And, and, and our friend basically gave 
gave Brian his couch. Couch and, and he's and, like, uh, hey, you know, we have a couch and then you can get started and <laughs> and we'll see how it goes. And so that's basically LA allowed us to have a job in the industry. So we still work in television. So we can still we make our movies and we still try to, you know, to 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 do these indie films. And at the same time we are working in the in the industry. So that's kind of how we made it work for us. Oh, and you guys are still doing that? Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. Okay. Gotcha. I do a lot of uh, editing. Like right now I'm editing uh, Ghost Nation uh, for travel. I just finished up editing on Expedition Unknown on Discovery. And Lowe's, yeah, I shoot uh, a lot. I shoot a lot on different shows. My first gig was actually um, a month after I moved in. I got, uh, I answered an ad and it was for Big Brother on CBS. And, really? Uh, so then I was like, yeah, sure. Actually, what, what's interesting about this is when I was in Atlanta, I had the fortunate uh, event of meeting this uh, jib owner operator who was really open. I was, I was really young at the time. I was a woman. And he was like, hey, you think you could be, you'd want to learn how to set up and operate a jib? Because there's no woman and uh, most of them are grips. And he said, I'd like to have a camera operator. So he basically taught me that skill. And when I moved in here, that's the skill that helped me get the job. Hmm. Um, and I wasn't a jib op, but I was a backup. And gotcha. that's the reason why I got hired. And, and then it went on and I still work for them. She's so still working on I Big still Brother. work on that show. <laughs> wow. Yes, but now you do what? Well, now I'm still a camera operator and I'm their main jib op, but I still do the jib. <laughs> right? Yeah. The jib job. Yeah. The jib job. <laughs> so, hey, I have a, I'm curious about this. So, listening to the, what you guys were talking about just before this, you know, Brian and Laurent really saw some really interesting success, I, to my way of thinking, with the festival stuff. And what I'm curious about, looking back, because you guys are largely responsible for my education in film, you know, back in the day, Brian and I would have these marathon phone calls. He was like, have you ever seen this? And we talk about this. He's like, you should do this. You go see, do you remember those, Brian? It was yeah, like yeah. for like hours. Yes, and yes. so I would go, whatever he, making notes, I'm like, yes, I'll go watch that. I'll go watch that. I'll go watch that. But same thing as I started to go to festivals and understand festivals a little more and then thought, hey, I'll start my own festival. and. <clears throat> there were some incredible festivals that these two got into that I really do think at that moment in time in Atlanta, no one appreciated. They didn't understand that those festivals were as big as they were because, you know, at that point, everybody was like, well, Sundance, Sundance. A few people talked about Cannes. A few people would talk about uh, Toronto or they'd talk about, mm -hmm. um, uh, what should we call it, New York, tr uh, Tribeca. Most of them were, if it wasn't Sundance, it wasn't a real festival, though. Right. I mean, really, that was the mentality. You know, and they're, they're going to South Korea, to Pushon, and all these things that the average person in Atlanta would never have gone, hey, wait a second. These guys are getting into, like, prestigious stuff. So I, is that a fair thing, a fair observation, that even at that time when y'all were doing this work, that was probably a step above what was being done in Atlanta? There just wasn't an understanding yet of that, the prestige of some of those festivals and what it, that it really was setting you apart as filmmakers. 
Is well, that yeah, fair? I think the uh, the bigger festivals really hit with with the dark remains that you know you were uh, the co lead in, and we actually shot it before we left, but we finished posting it in L.A. So actually, we'd already made the move by the time we got that festival cycle running on that film. But that was the film that I did, which is our third horror feature. That was definitely the film where we got into some bigger festivals at a time when, I mean, obviously that was back when I think festival directors were still like really looking to discover new talent, not so driven by what studios were pushing to be in their festival. They were still looking for true indie filmmaking. Yeah. And definitely with the, the Korean example, um, which was Pifon then, it's now uh, uh, Bifon. Now Bifon. Uh, and also Bushan, the call Bushan now. <laughs> but so they changed the name of the festival. It's still the same festival. But that festival was ridiculously huge. And we really couldn't believe we got in it because they flew us out and they put us up and everything else. And um, we were, that year we were there, there were only 10 feature films in competition. There were other films they were playing. There were only 10 features in competition. And we were the only film from the United States. The only one. That was wow. Which even to me, I was like, I could think of some other one. <laughs> you know? So I was like a little bit like, whoa. And I remember we were sitting around a table because it was such a great festival experience. They got all the filmmakers together and there were opportunities to trade stories and talk. We were treated so nice. And it was around the table, like everyone saying what the budget was in their movies. We're like, oh yeah, it was really low budget. Our, our budget was only a million dollars. And then finally it like got to us and we're like, how much did you spend? And we told them and like the whole the whole room just got quiet. <laughs> like all the filmmakers were basically like, number one, how do you make a movie that cheap? And number two, like, how are you here? <laughs> how are you here with a movie that small? You know, and it definitely was like it's kind of how we felt. How were we there? But and I think that festival in the experience with Dark Remains, I think that's the closest we ever got to kind of like getting close to cracking open to something bigger to like maybe finally getting our foot in the door and moving up to, to making connections and moving up to making bigger movies. And we definitely pursued the avenues that opened up from that. But anyone who knows this business, you can be running down some avenues that look really promising and then spend years going down them. And all of a sudden you just hit a wall. Yep. Uh, and that basically happened to us to such an extent uh, I mean, we didn't actually do another movie for seven years because we were pursuing all those avenues, right. writing scripts and meeting with people and, you know, developing projects with them. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, and in the end, we just said, well, you know what, if we're going to do another movie, we're just going to have to do it, you know, the indie way again and do it ourselves. And that's when we did Malignant, yeah. which, you know, led to the last one, Echoes of Fear. Uh, but, you know, it was but, you know, I'm glad that we tried after Dark Remains, I'm definitely glad that we tried to pursue those avenues that opened up because otherwise you'd look back and never know. Yeah. If you hadn't, you know, tried to seize those opportunities. Yeah. It is, it is difficult when you get a lot of the runaround and people are basically dangling a carrot, but then it, it just never leads to anything. And then you're like, well, time has passed. And what happened? You know, and so a lot of filmmakers get, I feel mm -hmm. like get into these, situation and uh, there's this hope that somehow it's gonna happen and then it doesn't and you're like what happened yeah so that's when we're like that's it we just have to focus on what we love 
Yeah. And let's go back. Let's go back to you know the the beginning. Yeah, we we'll go back. And let's just do movies like we like to to do, and not try to think that we're gonna get something huge. Or let's mm. just do something because we love doing it. Well, so here's something I learned from being at the American Film Market. I was out there mm-hmm. a couple times, and first year I had a, the same film, but the first year um, film wasn't done. I had actually a lot more success the first year than the second year I was there. Right, the first year wasn't done, and it was near completion, but I didn't have it finished. But I had a lot more success and a lot more, you know, exposure and whatnot. Following year, the market was kind of saturated, right? But what I learned from that was a there seems to be a much different um, maybe approach or maybe it's the market isn't as open overseas for filmmakers. So then it makes, it seems to kind of corral the filmmakers into making better product, right? Making better films. And then B, it seems that we have somehow saturated the market with so many films and so many films that are just not good. Right. That, you know, <laughs> I don't want to use the B word, but so many films that are not good yeah, that, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it seems that we've kind of shot ourselves in the foot. So has that been your experience? Because you guys went overseas with, you know, with your film and actually had it, you know, in the festivals and whatnot. And uh, and I got my film got into the con market, not con festival, but the con market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and but unfortunately, I didn't get to go. It kind of came about. I don't want to say suddenly, but it kind of came. But it came about kind of at a, at a bad time as well. I just had a baby and all this other stuff, mm-hmm. and it was just you know, all the expense. But looking back, I wish I could have. I wish I could have made it while I had a film that was in the market because the experience would have been different, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but with you guys, you were there, as you said, you had that experience. So, what is that like? I mean, you know, speak, speak to that. Did you experience? And then, Laurence, you're from France. So then you would have maybe some exposure on that side with maybe the filmmakers there or, you know, the film community and how they do stuff there. But is it that much different? Do we have just that much more opportunity to make films here or is it more closed off over there? Or what are your thoughts there? I mean, the distribution part of it is just all over the place. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's always been, even today, it's all over the place in terms of what you're talking about. Like there's a lot of movies. Well, first of all, we ended up going, we went to the Cannes market, you know, with our movies. And this one year we got screwed by um, our distributor. That was for our first film, Freezer. And I ended up going there to see what they were doing. It's uh-huh. like, what, what's going on there at the Cannes film market? So anyway, I saw what they were doing and I met some people. And then after that, I told Brian when I came back, I said, I think, I think I'd like to have a booth there and let's just do our own distribution mm. in Cannes. I can speak French. I can get all this, you know, I can do all the setup very easily. And then um, I, you know, we'll we'll give it a try. Well, what's interesting is that's the time when Brian came. And I feel like for a filmmaker, going to the Cannes film market can be a very big shock. Because the Cannes film market, it's imagine you're going to a supermarket. Mm. And you're just wondering, what are you going to eat today, mm. right? And you have all these choices, but you look at them more like, oh, there's this brand. Oh, what am I in the mood for? But it's so business-like where there's no feelings for movies and the filmmakers that it can be such a big shock. Brian got, got a huge shock. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's seeing all these movies. There's so many. All these moving, movies being sold. And 
the buyers who come in, it, they just kind of look at it like it's apple and oranges. And they just right. want to make a deal and that's it. There's not nothing more than that. Can I right. sell this? Yes, no, and move on. The, the, the markets are all about the same, whether it's in Cannes, AFM, or Berlin, you know, mm. or at the time there was Italy, you know, where... Anyway, the, all, the, all the film markets is just, I feel like it's becoming more and more difficult, actually, to, to have a movie. I don't know, to sell a movie. There's so many of them, like you say, so many of them. You're listening to the Expert Process Podcast. We'll be back in just a moment after we thank our sponsors. A quick reminder, if you haven't signed up for the free webinar yet, Pause what you're doing, open a new window on your phone or computer, go to theexpertprocess.com and join now. You can thank me later. Now, back to the show. I mean, there were many at the time, but I feel like it's even worse. Oh, yeah, it's much more now. It's even worse. I mean, back when we did it, uh, what he's talking about was actually uh, all the way back in uh, 2003 is when we had the, uh, the booth. And even in 2003, so many movies competing uh, for sales. And that was still a good time period. But there were still so many movies even back then. Now, I mean, the numbers would just dwarf that. But I mean, like she said, she, we had a booth and we had the experience of having, at that point, two films that we had done, uh, horror films, and we sold them directly to the buyers in the country. So we kind of skipped the middle person. That's well, right. we, we, we learned a lot because yeah. as a filmmaker, well, yes, you're making a film for yourself to show people but at the end, you also need to understand the uh, technical part of it when it goes to a foreign market. Right. So he learned a lot mm -hmm. with the buyers understanding their point of view, where right. their point of view is, I want to be able to buy a movie that I know there's not going to be any technical problems. I can put it out and it's going to be good. So a lot of these buyers... They just want to go back to the same people because they know that if they get a quality product, not in terms of content, but more in terms like the movie is being delivered properly, they don't have the headaches, it's done, handled right, then they feel confident they can buy more from those people. So we learned, oh, okay. do you see what I mean? So we learned okay. that a lot of buyers rely on the same people simply mm -hmm. because they can easily make business. They do business here in a, in a much more easily fashion. Right, which if you, make, if you think about it, it kind of makes sense like any other business. You know, yeah. if, you're, if you're buying tractors and you know that person's been making tractors a long time and their tractors are always reliable and they work, you're probably going to go to them to buy your next tractor. Right. You know? <laughs> so yeah, so, it's like, so it, we learned that and it was a hard thing to learn, but we did understand their point of view, which is important as a filmmaker. You have right. to be aware of this. Like, right. you know, that they have needs. If you want a, your movie to sell overseas, you have to have your m and &E. Now they're adding an additional thing like they did this year. What was it? Like, oh, the dialogue was different. separate? No. Oh, yeah, I don't even want to go into it. They, yeah, want, they want separate stems now that are beyond m and &E, which is... Uh, yeah, that's more than m and &E now that they want. So it's a lot more work, which means, you know, it's, it can cost money. So this is all the stuff that filmmakers need to be aware of. It's yeah. so funny. I just was on this panel at this film festival and it was amazing because of course, you know, I hate to say it, but it's sometimes these panels, the people they bring in and you're just like, wow, really? Okay. Well, good for you. You have a ton of IMDb credits at 
as waiter number three. I'm really happy for you. <laughs> now, that sounds mean, but I'm just saying, you know, come on, at some point. So the, the comment was made from one of the indie filmmakers who was there with a short who'd made his third short. And his um, piece of advice to them all was this. Just make movies, even little short ones. Doesn't matter how bad they are. Just make as many as you can. That's how you learn your craft. And I was like, no, guys, you're sending a message to the industry. Mm-hmm. Why are you? And, and I have, st- I feel like I've stood on so many sets where the truth is you're so desperate for something to edit because that's what you, that makes you feel like you're making a movie. So you're going to shoot crap, but at least I can get in there and edit and feel like a filmmaker. And it absolutely cracks me up. And then other thing I want to add that's really interesting is something that you all just said. I think, Durante, I think you and I talked about this in our interview. Um, you know, the first thing I do when I teach my class is I walk in and I make some student write on the, on the chalkboard or the whiteboard business. And my question to them is, which one's the big word? There's right. a little bit of show in show business. And there's a whole lot of business. And I, my point of that, too, is to say to them, guys, yeah. my first lesson to you, de-romanticize your art now. Get that out of the way so you can do the work because the work is what gets you more opportunities to do your art. Like it or not, that is the harsh reality. You do good business, you get to do more art. Right. And, and get him to really – and get over this sort of – you know, I need approval. I need attention. I need, no, 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 no. I just want the work. I also describe it to them as this. I know I see so many actors. I call it the magic phone call. Oh my God, you cast me. And you hear the phone go, God, that's going to be a lot of work. Uh-huh. They <laughs> want the part, but do you want the job? Right, right. And it's amazing to me how many actors, they want a part, but they don't want the actual job, the work part of it. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah, yeah and you could see it. Uh, Durante and I talked about this in our interview about how, man, getting I, – I really preach this to people, and this is largely y'all because I feel like I got to be so close to the set and have such great conversations with you all as an actor learning because y'all were at the very beginning of me switching from theater to film. And, you know, I just – I felt like I learned that so many incredible things about this one thing. Why do you call us talent on set? I don't want anybody on my set who isn't a filmmaker. My department is acting and I have to show up and do that job the way it needs to be done to make that film. And I think filmmakers need to start helping that happen too. This is one of the things, Durante, you'll appreciate. I There's a large group of, of black actors in D.C. several years back and I was still just bitching about everything. I said, guys, you know what? At the end of the day, one of the things you're up against is I have literally sat in rooms where they say, we like that actor, but he'll be the only black actor on set. And it's really hard to light black actors. Oh, wow. It's hard to light that dark skin. That's a whole new setup or that's you know a big tweak to every setup or whatever. And I said, you know what? That's power. Get together, throw in 50 bucks a piece, get a DP and a gaffer to come in with you and start letting them practice. Let them figure out how to do that. Have conversations with them about it. Don't sit back and bitch. Pardon my language. Right? (laughs) Right, but it's true. Empower them. Help them because a lot of times too, what I've heard is they'll say, you know, I just don't have a lot of experience with it. Yeah. You know what? Then we're going to get a group of working artists together and we're going to create the experience. We're going to teach you, just like I want filmmakers to teach actors, how better to be in the 
acting department of, of the set. I'm done. <laughs> Hi, sir. <laughs> Greg, I think your point is, uh, I think your point's valid because one of the things what you're saying is, is thinking outside the box, right? And I think as indie filmmakers, that's one of the biggest challenges that we have. We, I find that so many of us, so to digress for a moment, there's, um, there's a father and son team, um, Van Peebles, Mario Van Peebles and his dad. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Mario's the son and Mario. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, I can't think of the dad's name, but it, it'll come to me in a moment. But I met these guys years ago, right? Probably, I don't know, 03, 04, something like that. And they were doing a... Um, a panel discussion after some film that they had done and they were doing a panel discussion. And uh, one of the guys stood up and was saying something like, Oh, you know, I'm not having any success in trying to get, raise the money for my film. And the guy's like, the dad's like, so um, how much, you, what's your budget? And he's like, well, my budget's 13 million. And he's like, okay, so how much, uh, you know, what film have you done where you've raised, you know, that kind of money before? And he's like, Oh no, it's my first film. He's like, okay. So, uh, what studio are you connected with? Oh, no, I'm not connected with a studio. I'm just trying to raise the money. And so he's like, okay, so here's the thing, guys. He was very direct. He says, uh, he said, here's the thing, guys. You, I'm not going to use his language, okay? <laughs> <laughs> he goes, but you need to get your head out of your, you know, and he says, uh, and come back down to reality and make a movie that you can fund. He said, because no one wants to put that kind of money behind you and take that kind of a risk on an unknown, right? And he says, you know, his first film, he raised 100 grand, but basically it was his own money. And at the time he was, I think, a stockbroker or something like that. And, you know, it was, it was his own money. So he, he risked it himself. And he's like, you will learn so much more by doing that because you're going to be so much more protective of your own money than you would be with someone else's. And when these investors see that you went out and took the risk yourself, Um, It makes them more confident in your abilities to do that. But he was like, even then, you know, you can go and produce a hundred thousand dollar film. You're not going to have somebody come back and drop $13 million behind you as an unknown. You know, Mm -hmm. your, your hundred thousand dollar film would have to be hugely successful or, you know, have to really made an impact to do that. His point was, and, and, and that's something that's always stuck with me is the bottom line for us as indies and trying to crack that nut and trying to, you know, trying to really penetrate the space is we have to think outside the box. And more often than not, it looks like what you guys talked about, how you were saying that you bootstrapped your film, right? Um, For those that don't know what bootstrapping means, it just means you basically, you have to self fund and you find ways to, uh, you know, get your film made creative ways to, you know, to, to do this or do that, whether it's, you know, catering or, you know, whether it's your food truck or whether it's, you know, your, your locations and stuff like that, you know, like you were saying, you were here in Atlanta, but you were shooting movies in Tennessee or, you know, surrounding States. Well, I'm in Atlanta. I would love to shoot in Atlanta, but now our production has increased so much that the films I'm looking to produce, I'm most likely I'm going to shoot somewhere else because mm-hmm. the folks that I would typically bring in, they're either union or their rates are so freaking high that I can't afford them. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it drives us kind of out of the market, if you will. But I said all that to say to Greg's point, which is you guys managed to find a way to continue to be successful, right? One of the things that I'm coming to learn about you and that I really admire what I see is that you don't stop, right? So when filmmakers get into this, 
a lot of us, as Greg said a while ago, we fantasize. We have this fantasy of what this is going to be, right? We glamorize it, and it's this pretty beautiful thing that just usually doesn't materialize. And then, you know, we have this crash. And as, as you just said a moment ago, Lawrence, when you were at um, the, the market, right, the con market, and the awakening that you had, it was similar for me when I went to AFM. You see that, no, they're not going to spend that kind of time on your film. That's why you have to have a really solid cover art and all this other stuff or, or mm-hmm. one sheet. And you have to know the, as you mentioned, the, the business behind Greg said the business behind it. You have to know the business behind it because if you don't, then all you're doing is shooting yourself in the foot or deliverables. You know, that right. was where we got hung up. We had all this interest, but I, I couldn't meet my delivery date, you know. And when you promise a delivery date, that was my biggest thing. When you promise a delivery date, it's like, it's like being in a relationship, right? You make a promise to somebody for one thing, but let's just say it's the biggest thing of your relationship and the biggest thing of your life, and that is the deal breaker, right? And they've already told you, look, I'm giving you this shot, and you know what? If you make this thing, yeah, we're going to get married, and we have the best thing for the rest of our lives, right? If you miss it, then you know what? You're done. You're, you're toast. I was toast because we, we missed our delivery date. I mean, you know, I was new to it and it's, uh, anyway, I won't go into that. That's yeah. depressing. But my point being, my point being is, is just that, you know, it's, you guys have been able to figure out a way to continue to make it happen. You said you took a, a seven year hiatus, but you stayed in the industry, you stayed around the industry. And that's what I want to kind of really um, hone in on is how have you been able to do that? Because you guys are a husband and wife team. That doesn't always work either. So I really commend you for that. But I mean, I'm telling you, I mean, it, I was listening to um, R.L. Stein last night. I listened to a lot of podcasts and I was listening to him on the uh, masterclass thing. Right. And he was talking about he and his wife were a team when he first started out. Right. He said they wrote the first two books together. He said about halfway through the second book, she got so mad at him. She locked him in a closet. She, she tricked him into going to the closet. And she locked him in the closet and she locked him in there for like a half an hour, an hour. Right. And she said, he said, when she came back, she, he, he, she opens the door. She's like, it's over. And he's like, from that point on, they didn't write again. You're listening to the Expert Process Podcast. We'll be back in just a moment after we thank our sponsors. I want to share something with you guys. Most of you probably don't know I'm a single parent of a beautiful seven-year-old little girl. I won't go into details about really any of that because it's not relevant. But as a single parent, a single dad with a vision to mold his daughter's outlook, I sat her down and we discussed how she could build her own brand, develop her own TV shows as really it's a new day. She can do what she wants to do. So we just released our first few pieces of her apparel brand, Madison Lauren, and we're launching her YouTube channel next week. You do realize you can play YouTube through your television set, through your smart TV app, Roku, or really any other set top device now, right? So, in an effort to support my seven-year-old aspiring model, aspiring filmmaker, aspiring chef, and aspiring climate activist, I ask you to follow her at Madison Lauren Apparel and Accessories on Facebook or visit her website for great gift ideas at Thrifty Lil Diva, that's T-H-R-I-F-T-Y-L-I-L-D-I-V-A dot me. So again, that's Madison Lauren Apparel and Accessories on Facebook or Thrifty Lil Diva, that's T-H-R-I-F-T-Y-L-I-L-D-I-V-A dot me, Thrifty Lil Diva dot me. 
Okay, Madison, what's your motto? We love you just the way you are. <laughs> they grow up so fast. Oh, Daddy. <laughs> now back to the show. So that could you see that can be oh. you know that can be a challenge. So I'm just saying, like, how are you guys doing this? I mean, I I, I know I'm not the only one thinking that. Um. Well, some a couple things. Uh, I mean, more than it maybe. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, creatively, um, we 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 don't compete with each other in terms of like I want to do this, you want to do that. We we don't operate that way. We kind of like we we welcome our ideas. Like I've always, when we started, Brian was mainly the director, but we were really making the movies together, and people couldn't really understand. So, but basically, little by little, I got more involved, right? So we basically, we've always been a team. That's why we were saying we're like filmmaking team, because that's what we do. We don't compete. We just want to tell a story together. Mm. And we're not trying to be like, I'm better than you, or, or no, let's just take what we have that's the best, either of us. Sometimes when we produce, I'd be like, hey, you know, I think you'll be much better if you do it, and I'll do that. You know, like, we just look at the positive aspect of the or or of what we do right we says what's best okay if that's best you do that and then the other thing is we both work in the same industry i think that helps a lot simply because the demands of the industry can be can be really difficult for people who are not in the industry yes so making making a movie is the same where you know, I can get a phone call. Let's say, Elisan, uh, in two days, uh, uh, we need to shoot. Uh, I'm gonna have to to take to go out of state, or you have to wake up at 4 a.m. and then you're gonna be working so many hours, and we won't see each other. And if you're not in the, in the, in the industry, it's hard to understand that. But when you are, you know that hey, you know, your the the production demands. Right. That you work at night, or the production mm-hmm. demands that you're doing half nights, half days, and the production decides based on that project when is the best way to make it, right? And that's out of our control, but because we can understand this, so it's okay. And sometimes it's hard, but it is okay. So we have that common understanding. Well, I mean, we know it's like sometimes like we have plans, and then I'll text and like, hey, I, I have no idea when I'm going to come home tonight because we have an air date tomorrow, and the notes came in late, and. I have no idea when I'm going to be home. And she's like, okay. Because, yeah. I mean, we, we know that's like, that's the thing with TV. I mean, with TV, especially with air dates, I mean, there's there are like really things that have to be done at a certain time that have to be done. It doesn't matter. There's no excuses. It has to be done. Yeah. I mean, but, sometimes it is draining. Oh, yeah, sometimes it's, draining. it's difficult, you know, but at the end of the day, we just want to to get this project together or do something together. I would say the biggest challenge we have right now, in all honesty, is we've been very fortunate to have had a lot of work, knock on wood, but we've been very fortunate to have a lot of work the last, uh, well, really since we moved out here. So the hardest part really has been like finding the time to do the movie together, Mm. finding the time between the the other work where where we can do the movies and sometimes we've had to look at it in a weird way we've had to reschedule when we've done our movies sometimes because the gig has come up because because right. it's weird it's like it's not just like even if you have outside investors it's not just about like uh how much money is being spent on the movie but 
unfortunately, we have to also think about it like we really can't turn down work because really, if you do that, in a weird way in the back of your head, it's also part of your budget because it's all the money you're losing because you're not doing <laughs> you're not doing that shoot or you're not doing that edit. So we try to like to trying to find a place to slide in the movies in between the natural breaks in the work. Well, it's been the big challenge. I think recently. Also, is the fact that we're freelancers. Well, the reality of freelancing, and I, I think it's anywhere. I mean, it, it, but speaking about LA. It, once you're freelancing, you have to be available. Mm -hmm. And if you start not doing the jobs that come in, because there are many people looking for jobs. So once, right. once you get a job, you have to be very thankful that, oh, someone called you. It's like, wow, right. okay, cool. That's pretty awesome. But if you start turning down a lot of jobs, well, people won't call you anymore. And, right. then, and then you're not in, in the industry anymore. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like you, we, we have to be able to work those two worlds you know together mm. and that's what we've kind of been doing that's we, a balancing we, act it's, it's a, a very big balancing it's a balancing act because you know you can't you can't always turn down jobs like sometimes we have to say yeah we want to do a movie together but i know i'm going to have this project coming and if i if i turn it down i mean that'll be it someone took my spot and i'm i'm out you know and then at the end of the movie what am i going to do you know okay i have to find some other thing. We really want to stay in the industry. We, sure. love, we, love, we love our jobs sure. as well, you know? So we just, it's, yeah, it's a balance. And I think the other thing that a lot, of, uh, a lot of maybe indie filmmakers don't think about if it's their first film that they're doing is there's the amount of time it takes to come up with the story and the writing and that kind of stuff, which you can kind of do on the side and that takes as long as it takes. There's the intense prep before you go into production, which that tends to be a lot more time intensive. And of course, production part is usually the shortest window, but it's very, very intense, uh, the production part. But then what a lot of people think about is how long the process is from picture edit post to getting the audio finished to like doing, um, you know, the year of festivals and lining up the distribution. And then even once it's distributed, you have to market and promote the movie as it's yep. being distributed. Yep. So really a feature film in the indie world can easily be like a five year chunk of your life. Oh yeah. You really right. look at, you know, the big picture of it. So it's like, it, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a big commitment. So you want to make sure that you're doing something you're really passionate about. Yeah. And you also need to make sure that you know what you're getting yourself into when you, you know, jump in the pool. You're going to have to swim now to the other side of that pool. Right. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You have to get there. Uh, and I think a lot of people just sometimes think it's just the making the movie. And then once you finish the movie, then you're magically done. And in reality, it's like, oh, you're, you're just kind of starting that next phase. But you're not done. There's a whole other giant. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, stuff you have to go through. <laughs> A special thank you to my guests, Brian and Laurence Avenet Bradley. You can learn more about their latest release, Echoes of Fear, and their Blu-ray signing, which is scheduled to take place May the 16th. And you can find it at the link in the episode description in the podcast. And tune in next for part two of their episode. And a special thank you to you, my listener, for following along with us at the Expert Process Podcast. Please bear with us as we continue to grow and fine-tune the podcast. In the meantime, 
feel free to reach out with any suggestions, show ideas, or guest referrals. You can email me at smith.durante at gmail.com. Again, that's smith.durante, D-E-R-O-N-T-E, at gmail.com. And as always, love, peace, and fish grease. And I'm out. Thank you for tuning in to today's show. For only the best show notes, links, classes, and more, go to theexpertprocess.com or follow us on Facebook at The Expert Process or hit us up on Instagram at The Expert Process. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share.